everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Uh, this week, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're talking to Slava Koltovic. I hope I got close on your name. Yeah, you did it very well. Surprised. <laughs> hey, there we go. I, I can at least say names right, even if I don't know anything else, right? Uh, yes, you do. If you're a DevOps engineer, learning is constant. There's always something to keep up on. New technology to manage containers, how to keep everything up to date, what's going on in the Linux ecosystems that you're managing, et cetera, et cetera. Educative.io helps with that. They're a platform made from the ground up with software and DevOps engineers in mind. Instead of making you scrub back and forth through videos and spend hours on setup, their courses are text-based and feature live coding environments so you can skim back and forth like a book and practice in browser as you learn. One of the courses I recommend is a practical guide to Kubernetes. Kubernetes can get a little bit complicated and this just breaks it down step by step and walks you through the whole process. It's awesome. They have other courses that cover topics from DevOps to machine learning, system design, and much more. And each course has a free preview so you can poke around free of charge. On top of that, you can visit educative.io slash adventures to get 10% off any course or subscription. Check it out today. Do you want to just uh, ex uh, explain to people who you are, what you do, why you're important? Yeah, yeah, sure. Can can take a couple of minutes. So, uh, you know, I run a company called Kubler, uh, and Kubler is a Kubernetes management platform, uh, which we started a couple of years ago with the focus on, uh, you know, really delivering the cloud native experience or helping larger enterprise to adapt uh, cloud native technologies set uh, and that's what we've been running with for uh, you know for for last two years uh, you know helping one enterprise after the other so I think we can you know go deeper but as, as I mentioned our primary goal with Kubler is really uh, uh, make sure or, or you know really help those uh, organizations to unlock a value of cloud native technologies and Kubernetes specifically uh, in their own reality which nice. is, you know, always concerned with networking, security, and all other stuff. Yeah. Now, um, a lot of the email and other stuff that I read talked a bit about enterprise. And it's, everybody I talk to kind of talks about enterprise differently. So when we're talking about enterprise and uh, the people that Kubler is designed to help, I mean, who are these folks? Well, it's, uh, you know... Probably wouldn't be surprised if I say that half of our uh, customers are in uh, financial sector, right? Financial okay. institutions or software software development companies working for financial institutions. So, uh, well, majority of them have a very specific security requirements around how they deploy applications, how they run applications, right? So. Um, very specific networking requirements on, on what what can be connected, what cannot be connected, what ports are open, you know, what are closed and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So, and this is where, uh, those are scenarios where I would say majority of cloud providers or in those cases, cloud providers just cannot deliver enough flexibility and setting up a solution, right? So it's managed service, one size fits all, you either take it or, you know, route a flag. And then, uh, you know, some of our competitors, I would say, also not flexible enough for these specific configurations, but that's our primary use case when we, uh, you know, have, as I said, so very, uh, very specific security and networking needs, and we can, uh, you know, deploy uh, Kubernetes in, in those kind of uh, 
on those kind of infrastructures and those kind of environments. Right. I'm I'm really interested to understand, you know, yeah, the the particular need. And so you're talking about the level of flexibility and you know, like you mentioned, you know, which ports are open and who can authenticate and all this stuff. And I've seen some solutions around this. Um, so, so what is it that, you know, when people get in and they're going, okay, you know, I'm looking at competitor, I'm looking at Kubler, you know, what are the options that people are, you know, choosing you over the others for, you know, what, what is that flexibility? What does it look like that they're not getting from one of the others? Well, you know, there's uh I, you know, to, to be honest, so we are relatively new, uh, you know, new guys in the block, right? So the majority of our competitors started at least a couple of years uh, years earlier and uh, uh-huh. have have bigger minds, uh, or, you know, mind share. So we normally come to our customers as second choice, right? So they try someone else. Uh, right. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't name those competitors, but they try some of our more known competitors. Uh, they like it for development. They like it for testing purposes because those uh, those environments are usually not deadlocked, right? So there is more uh, flexibility over there. And then when they, they build a solution and they try to push it to production, that's where the, the whole fight starts, right? So security team comes with a very specific list of what needs to be done. And then, uh, you know, some of those competitive solutions just don't have enough, uh, you know, checkbox to, or, you know, configuration right. points to hit to uh to accomplish what uh what is required and so that's normally starts a fight inside organization where you know devops or uh it team come back with security saying well it's just not possible and then you know the fighting with security uh is not the fight you can win or you know in most mm-hmm. cases you cannot win so and that's where I think in, uh, you know, Kubler gets a chance to uh, offer a side-by-side comparison or side-by-side deployment. And normally we would, you know, do our deployment in a, a couple of days uh, where our competitor failed to deploy in a couple of months. And so that's what normally drive the deal. Right. So if, it, let's say that I was going to use Kubler. Um, so I'm deploying this into my Kubernetes cluster. Well, you actually, uh, Kubler is a Kubernetes cluster, right? Or it's basically a platform to deploy okay. your Kubernetes clusters, right? So you use Kubler to deploy clusters in, you know, your public clouds or your, uh, you know, on-prem uh, infrastructure, VMware, uh, okay. you know, a VMware setup or just, you know, pretty much everything that can run Docker engine. Okay. And then I just manage it from Kubler. And then you just manage it from Kubler, yeah. So Kubler provides all those, you know, login and monitoring and backup disaster recovery, updates, upgrades, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff that you need for day two operations. Now, is this on-premises? Like, do I deploy Kubler on-premises then and then manage the cloud from an on-prem machine? Or is it a software as a service that does it? Or does it actually run in the Kubernetes cluster that it manages? So it's not uh, it's not SaaS, right? So that's a box right. that you own, and you can deploy deploy it where you want it to be deployed. So uh, Kubler itself runs inside self bootstrapped Kubernetes cluster, and to okay. some degree, it manages itself, right? And depending on uh, what your target uh, target uh, uh, deployments are going to be, so you can deploy Kubler platform. On in your data center, and then from this data center, you can create clusters in the same data center, mm-hmm. different data center, or public clouds, 
or if you, let's say, only AWS, you can deploy Kubler platform in AWS and then provision clusters in AWS as well. So I gotcha. It's really flexible. So there is there is a number of components where Kubler, uh, you know, like centralized logging and monitoring that you need to plan for because you know if you if you deploy across clouds, then the the traffic or you know the information will flow from one side to the other side that you need to kind of think of. Yeah, but in general, uh, it can run everywhere. That makes sense. So what? Because it sounds like you know you have a whole bunch of knobs and dials over here, right? So I can control the cluster, and then I've got reporting and you know notifications and things like that. I was browsing your website, and it looks like you can send notifications like Slack or PagerDuty or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, when I'm looking at the graphs or the information that I'm getting back. Um, how do I know that the cluster is healthy or how do I know when I need to go fiddle with some of these knobs and dials? Yeah, there's a couple of layers. So uh, let me, you know, go back a step and, uh, you know, just, just uh, give you an idea why we started or what, why we, why we build functionality that we build today. Right. So uh-huh. uh, I used to run a service company uh, and Kubler was actually a spin off out of the service business. And, uh, in this service business, we, you know, work mostly for uh, larger enterprises. So let's let's say Fortune 500 and so on. Uh, usually helping them to deliver stuff to production as well. So when uh, Docker and Kubernetes became available, uh, Oleg, who is the CTO of Kubler and co-founder of Kubler, came to me saying, "Hey, you know, we need to do something about it, right? So that's the future." This is how we will deliver software to our clients for next, you know, 15 years. Uh, and there are a number of good reasons for that. So we try to deliver Kubernetes to, uh, you know, the just raw open source Kubernetes as it is mm-hmm. uh, to our clients. And then we realize there is a lot of gaps between what open source Kubernetes has to provide and then, uh, you know, what uh, those organizations are ready to push to production. Right. And so uh, when we looked at it, so there were different different levels of, of those gaps. So one was obviously, I think the first one when developers start working with Kubernetes is like, hey, how do I deploy my applications over there? How I run my applications, mm-hmm. how I monitor and so on and so forth. And that's where products like OpenShift were playing right? So providing the full pass on top of the Kubernetes as a layer for your application right. management. I think the assumption that we we uh, did back in the days were saying, well, this is the problem that open source community will address very quickly, and you know because that's what kind of gets the community excited. How mm-hmm. you how you simplify the application deployment, how you simplify application right. development, and we see those tools popping up one after the one after the other. Gremlin is a chaos engineering service built by engineers from companies like Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Dropbox. To learn more about chaos engineering, join the Slack community over at gremlin.com slash Slack. With thousands of active members, it's a great place to network and find resources to improve your organization's resilience. On the other end, you know, the, I would say the most uh, conservative part of organization of every enterprise is, you, I mean, of IT organization is the actual IT, IT operations, IT infrastructure, and so on. So for them, this whole new tool set is a drastic change of how they run their uh, applications, how they run their infrastructure. So when we were ready to deploy and we started talking to IT, IT, uh, you know, with those customers, IT came back to us saying, well, really, we need 18 to 24 months to prepare ourselves to deliver stuff to product. Oh, wow. 
right? So, and that's that's when application is already built, tested, and be and ready to be deployed. Yeah. Right. So, and that's that's how we that's where we started. So we looked at it and said, well, the real problem is really in uh, on operation sides of the house. Uh, so we need to make the solution that would allow those IT organizations that are not really well prepared to run Kubernetes today to run it. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, that that put several, I would say, uh, directions of development. First, uh, and I mean, I think it's obvious today, but first was uh, high availability or reliability. We, you know, we put a tons of effort to make sure that those clusters run 24 by 7 and you know, they never stop as as, as long as, as possible, as much as possible. And if right. they stop for some reason, we can automatically recover. So part of part of Kubler is uh, you know, part of Kubler product is the uh, you know self healing mechanism on different levels, right? So we have uh, you know our our code running on every uh, node of Kubernetes clusters that we deploy. That will make sure that all the Kubernetes components are operational. So, I mean, if let's say Kubelet goes down, you know, our code will restart it. If it cannot restart, the Kubelet will try to restart the whole machine and so on and so forth. Then, uh, the way we provision infrastructure, if we have access to API, we'll also make sure that if, uh, you know, virtual machine goes down, it will be restarted, it will be recreated and reconnected to the cluster automatically. Uh, and then in, the, in in cases where we cannot recover automatically, so we kind of translate between uh, events that we read from Kubernetes to events that, uh, you know, IT team can understand, right? It's not just, hey, what cannot be scheduled or something like that. And now you need to understand why it's happening. It's more of like, we read the pod cannot be scheduled event and translated, you need to add resources to your cluster. So this is... Um, this is the level of alerting and advice to some degree that we give uh, we give uh, you know teams that run uh, Kubernetes clusters with Kubler. And you know, answering your question, back to your question, so we have you know all the uh, the, the centralized monitoring component which serves uh, a number of uh, uh, dashboards uh, based on Prometheus and Grafana that IT IT teams can can look at. We have alert manager installed and uh, pre-configured to, uh, you know, send notifications about majority of, you know, most important alerts. And it's all also open so that, uh, you know, we can uh, customize or customers customize it for their very specific cases. Right. That makes sense. It's interesting talking about this gap too, right? And, And it seems like there are a lot, especially of enterprise tools that address some of those gaps that you're talking about. One thing I'm wondering about is what about small companies, right? Or medium-sized companies that can't afford um, the enterprise solutions, you know, when are we going to get to the point where it's, you know, simpler for them? So I think that's, that's, uh, um, you know, that we, uh, you know, we do, we do have smaller customers as well. And the idea that we had was, uh, you know, we want to bring enterprise quality Kubernetes clusters to everyone. Right? Right. I mean, uh, on the other end, I would say that majority of small and, and uh, you know, medium business is well served by cloud providers. I mean, unless you have very specific security, again, security requirements, configuration requirements, GKE, EKS, EKS is a great solution. Right? Oh, it's yeah, managed, that's true. It, it's managed for you. Uh, it really comes with the cost of infrastructure, so you don't have to pay anything on top. Uh, you know, it can be provisioned very quickly, can be deprovisioned very quickly. Why don't you, why don't you use it? 
But uh, if you, you know, even being a small customer, have, uh, you know, multi, uh, multi-cloud, uh, multi-region, you know, hybrid requirements, or, you know, again, some, some very specific security or networking configuration. So that's where you need to uh, you know, take something like Kubler. Yeah, that makes sense. So what are all of the different options that you have with Kubler? I mean, you know, yeah, in a smaller setup, what I'm really concerned with is, did the thing get deployed and is it going to run reliably? But yeah, you're talking about, okay, I've got this other edge case thing that I need to worry about. So yeah, what, what options do you have? Well, we, uh, you know, we, we do deploy, I mean, one of the, one of the uh, use cases that we support is deployment to different, uh, different infrastructures, right? So, and uh, moving your clusters or moving your data from one, one place to the other, let's say, you know, today you're in Google cloud, uh, even for a smaller startup, it's actually interesting. We have one of the customers, which is relatively small startup. They started in Google Cloud. Uh, they got uh, cloud startup credits, right? So 100K of free cloud infrastructure. Uh-huh. Uh, so they don't pay for infrastructure. They uh, tried to use GKE. GKE didn't work. So, you know, we found a way to work together. Even, you know, so, so they use it, but uh, they know that maybe in a year or so they will have to switch because then, you know, the credits are expired and they may need to go back to data center or they may need to go to AWS or something like that. And I think the reason uh, they picked uh, or, you know, decided to go with Kubler is that even, even with the product like that, you still need to uh, invest into some DevOps uh, workflow around the tool, right? So, I mean, if someone needs to read alerts, someone needs to read uh, metrics, someone needs to, you know, uh, read logs files and so on and so forth. So if you build uh, everything around one specific cloud solution, like Stake Driver, uh, Stake Driver for Google, for example, right? So then you are in the AWS and you have to rebuild everything from scratch. So we give this level of abstraction when we, uh, when they actually build uh, their tool in around uh, Prometheus, Elasticsearch, uh, you know, Grafana, Kibana, and all this kind of stuff, the open source stuff that we deliver as a part of the solution. So when they switch from one cloud to the other cloud, that's not going to be that, uh, you know, dramatic in terms of how much needs to be uh, needs to be redone. So, and as, as I mentioned, so from this perspective, we support all the public clouds, so you can deploy to uh, GKE, APS, EKS. Uh, we have uh, VMware automation, uh, so basically can provision infrastructure through VMware vSphere API, uh, and then uh, something that we call bring your own infrastructure, which is you know bare metal deployment or uh, just right. virtual machine deployment. Those kinds makes sense. So, is there anything that you're adding into it now that people don't have at the moment? Uh, yes, we, you know, as we. Uh, Kind of deploying those clusters to customers, always looking what's next, right? So you know why, uh, you know why, let's say one of those top three banks that we work with doesn't go all Kubernetes today. So what holds them? Right? Mm-hmm. Why do they still rely on virtual machines and so on? And so the more they run in Kubernetes, the more requirements we uh, kind of uncover. And so. Uh, among many of our customers, we realize that support for multi-site. Uh, is kind of a next big barrier for uh, Kubernetes adoption. So, uh, you know, none of them really run uh, critical applications or high availability applications in one region or in one data center, right? So, I mean, they they, they need to uh, uh, 
you know, multiplied and we, we have customers that run the same, you know, same kind of applications and mine different data centers just to allow availability uh, you know, across the whole country. So, uh, the, and then, you know, there are solutions for virtual machines that uh, en enable uh, high availability and reliability across different data centers and regions. For uh, virtual machines, there is nothing today for Kubernetes. I mean, none of our competitors, and including us at this point, right, in the right. release state, support those multi-site um, uh, kind of multi-site orchestration. So, and that's what we announced at KubeCon as a technical preview. You know, that's something that we run with a limited set of our customers today and, you know, hopefully we'll make it available for a wider audience in Q1 uh, 2020. Nice. Is, you know, in a couple of months. Yeah. Cool. Are there other things that you wanted to make sure that we covered? Because I'm not sure if I'm asking all of the right questions. I'm I'm guessing there are probably some things that are important to know about this that I just haven't thought of off the top of my head. I think, uh, you know, we... And I feel like we are talking about uh, about Kubler, uh, you know, a bit too much. But anyway, so the, I think that the one the one thing to mention that uh, coming back to the multi-site uh, uh, multi-site capabilities, uh, you know, would would probably love to expand on it a little bit. So the idea that we or you know the problem as we see it, right? So there is a uh, or the way our customers running today uh, with with Kubler or some of our competitors is that really, you know, when all of us support deployment to different environments and from one single location, from one single, uh, mm -hmm. you know, platform, we can deploy a number of clusters across the different regions, across different data centers and so on and so forth. The platform itself has to be deployed somewhere. Right. right? And so the question is which region uh, or, you know, which data center you trust more to put the control plane in it. So, and that's uh, at the end, uh, it turns into customers deploying this control plane in every region, making every region or making every data center uh, independent. So, you know, we saw the, the cases where we had customers with nine different regions. And so every region had, had the deployment of the control plane, centralized logging and centralized monitoring to run oh, right. faster on this region. It's terrible, right? Yeah. Because now, uh, now the next step is like, well, something still need to orchestrate across these nine regions. So if one region mm -hmm. goes down, right? So you need to write a script that will switch load balancer, that will start recovery procedures, probably migrate data, or you know, if you still can, or uh, mark other region as active for this set of data. And when the recovery is completed, move everything back. So those kind of uh, those kind of things. And so customers ended up building those kind of scripts so, but now you also need to be able to run the script reliably so the next question is where you run it and uh, you know we're getting back to the base so where you need to you know figure out how to run it reliably across uh, several several locations so what we uh, what we build in as a kubler 2 2.0 is actually the capability to uh, spread kubler platform across several locations right so oh, okay. and make make it run in the cluster it mode so you know, let's say if you have nine regions, you want to, uh, you know, you want to be able to sustain uh, two regions down, right? So you you spread Kubler across five regions. You don't have to deploy it to all nine. You, you can, you know, spread it across five. And then you can run, you can actually run uh, those scripts, uh, you know, the, the recovery scripts, failover scripts inside Kubler platform. Uh, and Kubler will make sure that those run, you know, 
those, those will run reliably no matter what happens. So we actually right. integrate with OpenFast at this point and we'll uh, provide the capabilities for uh, you know, our customers to uh, you know, develop those scripts as single functions that Kubler will be able to run to uh, react to different uh, you know, disasters in, in the overall uh, deployment. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. JSRemoteConf.com. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we, we see this with other systems, right? Uh, databases is an example of this, right? Where, you know, they spread data around and they spread uh, control. Or sometimes there's just, you know, there's kind of a master... But if it goes down, you know, it has some way of orchestrating, okay, this is the new master. And yeah, I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't do that with infrastructure. I mean, it's, it's tricky, right? Because you're, you know, you've moved down a level or two from the database. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a problem that needs to be solved. And, you know, if I'm putting together a high, available, high availability system, I want it close to my users or close to the data, you know, for regulatory reasons or whatever then yeah, I, I don't want to have to log into nine control planes. Oh, where's this one? Oh, it's doing the same thing as this other one. It's just that the data's over there. Yeah, you know, being able to just say, okay, I've, I've got the control in one place. Um, I know how to access it. it. You know, it's monitoring itself. It'll yell at me if it needs me to get involved. And yeah. And we see, uh, you know, today, because those tools are, or the platform uh, that supports this functionality is not available, we see uh, organizations are doing it. And, you know, from our experience, easily can turn into multi-months, multi-million dollar projects, right? Just to get everything set up and coordinated or uh, synchronized across different regions, that takes time. And, you know, when, when it takes time on infrastructure level, it means that it's you know, it kind of, again, delays the application deployments and application modernization and all this kind of stuff. Yep. Very cool. So is there a way that people can actually try out Kubler? Yep. I mean, the Kubler platform is available for free for non-production environments. All right. So it's uh, easy to, we have what we call Kubler. Uh, well, you know, probably my marketing will kill me if I mention it again, but uh, I, I used to call it Kubler in a box. It's basically a simple Docker container that you can, you know, start from Docker Hub, you know, Docker uh -huh. Start or Docker Run, then Kubler Kubler or something like that. Uh, and this will give you, uh, you know, almost fully functional Kubler control plane inside one Docker box. And you can create clusters, you can destroy clusters, upgrade clusters, and, uh, you know, from, from this Docker container, now, if you want to explore the uh, full Kubler platform functionality, so this actual box will help you to bootstrap your uh, Kubler platform clusters that will provide the full set of tools. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if I have any other questions. Um, anything else that we should dive into before we do some shout outs and wrap up? No, I think, you know, we covered pretty much everything. I, I, I'm looking at the... You know, the invitation now, it talks about self-healing nodes and self-healing infrastructure. I think we covered 
you know this this as well and yeah, i don't i don't have anything else in mind cool well let's go ahead and do some picks um picks are a segment of the show where we just shout out about stuff that we're um, enjoying or involved in or things like that um i'll go ahead and go first so you can kind of get an idea of uh, what we're looking at so um one pick I have, I don't know if I picked this last week. So if I did, I'm sorry. I've been listening to a book on Audible called Generation Z Unfiltered. And it, it talks about, you know, younger people and, you know, the differences between when I grew up and when they grew up and the ways that they think and things like that. And it's been really, really interesting just to think about it and go, okay, you know, these, these are my kids. Um, you know, this is the the world they're growing up in. These are the things that they have to deal with. You know, these are the challenges that I need to prepare them for and just how to do that. Right. Because I think sometimes we get, we, we want to save them from a bunch of uh, trouble. And so what we wind up doing is we, we wind up going out of our way to kind of shield them from problems instead of preparing them for the problems. And it's really made me think I've been talking about it with a few friends of mine too, but, um, you know, just basically that thought of, okay, instead of how do I get in the way of the trouble that will come their way because of this stuff, it becomes, how do I, you know, how do I let them sort of crash and skin their knee without breaking their neck, right? And so, you know, giving them those opportunities to learn, okay, you don't want to put stuff like that on Facebook, right? You have a phone. You don't want to take these kinds of pictures with your phone and you definitely don't want your friends to use them. See, have them because if your friends become not your friends tomorrow, right. And so just those kinds of things. And so, yeah, just finding that balance and being able to talk to them kind of where they're at instead of where I came from, you know, where cell phones weren't even a thing when I was a kid. And, you know, they were starting to be, be a thing when I was a teenager, but even then, I think I had one friend that had a cell phone and, you know, five years earlier, a cell phone was open the briefcase, pull out this thing that's the size of a loaf of bread and stick it by your head. And so, you know, I, I just didn't grow up with it. And so, you know, I don't have the same kind of challenge or worry or, you know, the kinds of challenges that are going to come out of the kind of connectedness that they have. So anyway, it's been really great. So I'm going to pick that. I think it's by Tim Elmore. Yeah, it's funny. Funny you mentioned it. Uh, you know, I just, I'm a parent again, right? So as I mentioned, back uh, back back to this game, uh, everything from scratch. So I was I was reading a, another article, uh, you know, in a similar direction last week, where uh, you know they were talking about uh, you know how these new parenting habits uh, make uh, miserable or new parenting habits makes miserable employees, right? So or you know uh -huh. basically. Those, uh, you know, uh, kids, they're not ready to work. So I think, you know, what, what they mentioned is that the relationships between parents and, uh, you know, kids uh, have changed to the degree that now kids demand and parents execute on this demand, right? So, and that's so much different from, you know, what I experienced when I was a child or, you know, when yeah. we, we had some responsibilities at home and so, and so forth. So the problem is that, you know, when those kids <clears throat> graduate and, you know, uh, start their first jobs, uh, they still try to apply the same approach with like, hey, uh, you know, what can you do for me? Versus like, well, that's what I can do for you, uh, you know, to be uh, to be helpful here. And that's basically uh, to some degree create uh, 
create, uh, you know, the issues for themselves and their and their new work. So it's much harder for them to adapt uh, for the new reality. Something that they are not exposed for first twenty, you know, twenty two years of their life. And uh, yeah, my my thinking on that was also how can I, you know, not fall into this new uh, paradigm of like trying to, you know, trying to make you know, childhood of my kids, you know, very happy experience, you know, no problems, no issues. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, prepare them for the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So that's my pick. Do you do you have something you want to shout out about? TV well, show, my, book, movie, something that you've enjoyed? Well, uh, you know, I got my Rabblings drones last week. Uh, the, you know, small programmable drones. Uh-huh. But uh, with the, you know, development studio, and it was so much fun last week to do some first, uh, you know, development exercises with my kids. Where you know, just like a simple um, uh, fly up, fly down, left, right, turn around, and so yep. on. Of course, so I tried to get uh, to get them to do some, you know, simple programming here and there for some time now. And but it's hard when you know you have to operate bits and bytes, and then a majority of the things available on internet are a bit too childish, I would say. Uh-huh. I so now drone is something really cool, and when you can make it fly with your own commands, I think that's what uh, turned them to finally try it, and uh, you know, hope we'll uh, continue doing it because they they curious to learn what else they can do now because this is something tangible they can see flying, you know, right. based on their development. Yep, that that sounds like a ton of fun. It is. It is. Good deal. Um, if people want to connect with you online, where, where are the best places to do that? Well, Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, I, I guess, I mean, I, I check my LinkedIn regularly, uh, and you know, have, have updated contact information over there and then Twitter, uh, Twitter as well. And what's your Twitter handle? That would be V Koltovich, uh, V, uh, that comes from my first name and then, uh, Koltovich is my last name. Good deal. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming and talking to me for a half hour or so. Yep, sure. Thank you for having me Charles. All right, folks. We'll have another one next week. And in the meantime, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.